out there. Um, Daniel chapter 2. Uh, we're talking about Daniel. I'm going to start out talking about marching bands. Anybody here big marching band fans? Yes. The Ohio State. Are you from Ohio? Indiana. Go Hoosiers. Get out of here. Go, go, check, go check out College Heights. All right. No. Uh, so here's the deal. So I love marching bands. The Ohio. I'll give you a great marching band. Go YouTube after the sermon. Uh, this YouTube, They have a, a halftime show where they play music to all these uh, movie soundtrack themes. And this one, they have this moment where they're playing the Jurassic Park. And they are this giant dinosaur moving across the field. It's incredible. Um, but when we imagine you're watching a marching band. J.D. Greer gave this illustration on his sermon on Daniel 2. Um, and you're watching the whole marching band in sync, like doing their thing all together. But then there's this one dude, he's probably playing the triangle or something, and he's just kind of off doing his own thing. Like he's not following along, right? He's the one kid in the kid's choir, right? Who's kind of doing his own thing. And you're going, what in the world? Is he demon possessed? Like what's wrong with this guy? And as you press in closer, you realize he's actually got his AirPods in. And he's not listening to the conductor. So when everybody else is playing the fight song, he's jamming to, like, Justin Timberlake or something, right? He's, I got that sunshine in my pocket. And he's feeling the beats. And uh, he's, that's, that's my new hips. Thank you, Dr. Jimmy Chow. Um, he's not following the, the band conductor. He's following Timberlake, which is just always a good life advice. That's my sermon take home for you. Do what, WWJD. No, that's, okay, well, that's enough. Um, so... Not only, so, so is he, he's not following the band's conductor, he's doing his own thing. And think about that for a minute as we look into Daniel. Um, we're, we're calling this series Living as Strangers. And as we work through this story, it's Daniel and his buddies living in exile in Babylon. The world around them does not worship Yahweh. And the question for them is, are they going to play the song that everyone else around them is singing, or will they listen to the true conductor, the only wise king, and play his song? And this is the question that we're asking for ourselves. As we live in what we called last week a more and more a post-Christian society, one that is moving beyond saying we don't believe Jesus is king and his way is better than our way, what does it look like to be in that world but not of that world? To be salt and light here, loving people, while not playing the song that Babylon is playing. And not only that, but to invite the world into this true and better song. To invite them to, to listen to his song and join in the band. This week, we're going to be looking through Daniel chapter 2. Uh, it's a longer chapter, so let me just give you a nutshell. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar wakes up in the middle of the night, cold sweats. He, he had a dream. And he orders that all the wise men in Babylon are gathered together to try to tell him what his dream means. And he gets the best of Babylon in there, and he gets kind of worked up. And he goes, if, if you don't get your dream interpretation, Babylon, it's going to be Babylon off with your heads. And, and Daniel, he, God reveals this dream to Daniel and the meaning of that dream. He brings it before the king, and as a result, Daniel is elevated to the king's number two, his right-hand man for the rest of, of his time in Babylon. So um, let's look at this. Two things that, that, I, that I see here. Studying the passage this week, I think that the, the author's main goal for us is to see that the wisdom that Daniel has is superior to the wisdom that, that the Babylonians had. In verse 14, it says that Daniel responded with tact and discretion, with wisdom. Daniel shows us what it looks like to live wisely. But more than that, we're going to see this is ultimately Daniel's going to say, this wisdom ain't coming from me. In verse 20, he says, he declared, may the name of God be praised forever. For wisdom and power belong to him. What we're ultimately seeing showcased here is the wisdom 
and power of our God. And so what we want to look at is what does it look like, as we learn from Daniel chapter 2, to listen to the song of the only wise king, to play the tune of our true king and not get sucked into the tune that the world is showing us. So, so two things, if you're filling in your blanks. The first one, the wisdom of God. Comparing, we're, we're going to see in chapter 2, the wisdom of God compared with the wisdom of Babylon, the wisdom of this world. And three things in that for us today. A, we find that pursuing the wisdom of God finds us prayerful. It finds us prayerful. So Nebi wakes up from his bad dream, and instead of calling his mom, he orders the smartest, most magical, and most spiritual staff that he has, brings them together, and says, tell me what my dream means. Now, in the ancient world, dreams held a lot of weight. It told your future, and so it was good to know your future so you could prepare accordingly, right? Now, he tells them, uh, tell me my dreams, and none of his Babylonian wise men can. And so he says in verse 12, because of this, the king became violently angry and gave orders to destroy all the wise men in Babylon. He says, because you couldn't tell me my dream, I'm I'm finishing you. You're dead, right? Now, you could call that uh, maybe overkill. (laughs) Okay, that's all right. Verse 13, the decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed, and they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. So you imagine in this moment, to be Daniel... Like he's part of this wise men crew, so he's going to be killed too. So what would you do if these men, the king's henchmen are coming for you? And you think about all that Daniel's been through, right? I mean, he's been through the Holocaust in Judah. They've been brought into exile in, into Babylon, and, and now he survived through that chapter one uh, veggies and water diet stunt that he pulled off, but now he's going to be executed because he can't tell the, the king his dream? Like, what would you do in that scenario? Let's look at what Daniel does, verse 14, then Daniel responded with tact and discretion, that's the wisdom that Daniel shows, to Arioch, which I think sounds like kind of a Lord of the Rings name there, uh, the, the captain of the king's guard who had gone to, out to execute the wise men of Babylon. He asked Arioch, the king's officer, why is the decree from the king so harsh? Wow. Then Arioch explained the situation to Daniel. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so he could give the king the interpretation. So he buys a little bit of time. He says, let's ask some questions. Let's kind of see what's going on here. And then here's what he does with that time. Verse 17, then Daniel went to the house and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, remember that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, about the matter, urging them to ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this mystery. Why? So that Daniel and his friends would, would not be destroyed with the rest of Babylon's wise men. So what does he do? He prays. And what I love here is it's not just Daniel praying. He invites his friends to pray with him. Let us together in community petition our God that he would save us, that he would give us the answers that we need to move forward. Prayer. And I think about that. I remember when I was, before I was full-time here, I was a part-time preacher on the preaching team, and we had a couple weeks before the school year started, um, we found out that our youth uh, guy was, was bailing, and we didn't have anybody to run the youth group in like within days, like a couple weeks. It's like, what do we do? So I just start freaking out, like, what are we going to do about this? And we're all kind of worried, and, and, and our interim pastor at the time, Larry, who was my, my mentor, he's sitting back as always, like Yoda, and he's just, he just says, you know, guys, have, have we prayed about this? I'm like, oh, Larry, you know. Or pray about this, we should, right? Or however the, that's my best Yoda. Shut up. So uh, here we are as a church staff 
Like praying about a church staff position, and we're not even thinking about praying. I was like, and I don't know about you, but my default, when things get, when my back's against the wall, like I can start to feel that anxiety, and I'm like, I'm gonna snap into action. I'm a doer. So let's 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 get a spreadsheet, right? Let's canvas Soldatna, let's figure out who the best candidates are and call them through a phone interview. Let's act, right? Now, yes, act, but our first step is to say, God, what are you doing here? Like, what are you trying to show us and teach us? How would you have us proceed that you're going to provide? And then, yes, act, but in dependence and confidence that God's going to do it his way, his timing. And I know that for you, like, to say, hey, pray to God for wisdom, that's not any earth-shattering news probably to anybody. But, but, but think about this last week. I mean, let's ask the honest question. How often did I pray? Like, how often was my default to go to the Lord and walk in actual dependence on? It's one thing to say, yeah, I should pray. It's another, it's another thing to actually do it, right? And this takes discipline. Like, none of us just default into prayer. I just keep always praying. I never get to anything because I'm always praying to God. No, of course not. So how do we weave in these rhythms, these habits of prayer into our, our lives? Like we said, always start with small habits. So maybe it's just saying, first thing in the morning, before I even pick up my cell phone, Let's spend a couple minutes just before the Lord, offering myself to him and what he would have for me for the day. One rhythm I've found helpful is when I get in the car, before I turn on the podcast or the music, before I, I go with Justin Timberlake, right? I start with Jesus and say, God, as I, as I drive to this next thing, this meeting I'm going to have, or I'm coming home to be with my wife and my daughter, like, what, get, I need you to give me the power, the wisdom, and the love to know how to put them first, how to serve them well to your glory, we weave those things in. But let's not hypocritically just make a plan of action without praying about the plan of action, right? So God, maybe so the first step would be, God, how would you have me implement rhythms of prayer and dependence on you into my life this, this week? But it's not just pursuing God's wisdom. It's actually the trusting of that wisdom. The next thing we see here is that trusting the wisdom of God finds us thankful or, or grateful. Pick up the story. How does God answer Daniel's prayer? Would you show us the mystery, God? The mystery was then, verse 19, revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. So God gives Daniel the vision. And what's his response? He busts out in praise. Daniel praised the God of the heavens and declared, My, May the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him I offer thanks and praise therefore to you God of my ancestors because you have given me wisdom and power and you now you have let me know what we asked of you for you have let us know the king's mystery so he responds in praise now, now maybe hypocritically or excuse me skeptically you're like well great yeah Daniel's all praise and worship now because God gave him what he asked for right like, if God answered my prayer, if he showed me the future, if he, asked what, if he gave me what I was asking for, I'd go all Chris Tomlin praising God too, right? But think about the story. Like, we, 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 we know the whole story, right? Daniel doesn't. He's living out his story. So when he comes before God, he doesn't know how God is going to answer the prayer. So he has to take this scary step of faith, not just to pray, but then to actually trust that God will provide in the way he sees fit, whether it means life or death. Would he still trust God? if he Because he could have very easily not given Daniel the mystery, and Daniel could have died right then. Would that, God, would that be God being faithless? You remember Jesus' prayer in the garden? Father, take this cup from me, not my will, but yours. And, and God answers his prayer too, but he doesn't answer Jesus' prayer by removing the cup. He's faithful to his son through the cross, not 
around the cross. God will be faithful to answer our prayers in life and in death. See, to trust God, to trust God means, if I'm actually going to trust his wisdom, what, what does that look like? Well, it means both knowing what his wisdom is, but then it also means obeying that wisdom. It's, it's both. And I think some of, us, some of us err on one side and some of us err on the other side. So some of us maybe err on the side of knowing God's wisdom. Like, we got his word hidden in our hearts and some, right? Like, we have, we grew up, maybe you grew up in Awana. You had all the sparky jewels. You knew all the Bible verses. The wages of sin is death. And you could quote those, like, before you were out of diapers. Uh, our, our lead uh, worship leader here today, Daniel, our youth pastor, he can actually, he, he claims that he can sing all of Psalm 119. Okay, he was homeschooled. It, it, it's just, it, I'm kidding. That's okay. So actually, I think in the auction today, I think we should bid on Danny to sing, come, and he can lullaby you and your family to sleep each night singing Psalm 119. That'd be awesome, right? We could hide the word in our hearts, but then oftentimes that's where it stays and we don't actually apply it to our lives. There's this total disconnect between what we've hid up here intellectually and then how we actually live. We're not applying God's word into our lives. But, but then sometimes we can err the other way, where some of us are, say, are great at saying, I- I'm going to obey God. God, what do you want me to do? I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. But then we don't actually base that obedience on the word. We don't base it on his, his word. We base it on our feelings. And then oftentimes we'll say, I mean, so what a dangerous phrase we just need to be aware of, okay, is that when I say, I know God wants me to do this, or I know this is his will, Now, we know God has a will for our lives, and I believe the Holy Spirit convicts and moves. But we have to be careful that what we're we're basing that on is not our feelings and desires, but on the word of God himself. Because my fear is that sometimes we, we call it what God wants. We put the God's will sticker on it, but we're really just doing what we want. So are we basing it on what, knowing what God actually says in his word and then carrying that out in belief and obedience? Both of those are really us foolishly playing our own song. To follow the conductor means to listen to his song and then to follow it. And that's what will bring us to a place of thanksgiving, of gratitude, which, as we'll see in the next point, leaves us God-centered. Number three, seeing the, or see, seeing the wisdom of God finds us humble. It finds us humble. So finally, when God reveals his wisdom to Daniel, check out the difference between Daniel and then Arioch, the, the king's captain. Verse 24, therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had assigned to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He came to him and said, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will give him the interpretation. So notice what Daniel says. Don't destroy who? Don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Like Daniel is others-centered right now. He he says, man, man, look at, and, and that's both his buddies, those are also people who are very much not his buddies, right? Like he's loving his enemies and his friends around him. And then contrast that with Arioch, verse 25. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found a man among the Judean exiles who can let the king know the interpretation. Do you hear the arrogance there? I have found the man. You liar, liar, tunic on fire, right? <laughs> You didn't find him, fool. Like, Daniel came to you, but he wants the credit. And this is the way of Babylon. Babylon says this world would say, claim the credit when things are good and pass the buck when things are bad, right? This is why Jill hates playing games with me. Whenever I win, I'm like, man, what skill, what tact and discretion, right? But then when I lose bad cards, what are you going to do, right? Not my fault, right? She's like, you're an idiot. So 
Arioch's arrogance, it serves to contrast with Daniel's humility here. Look at what happens when Nebuchadnezzar asks him. King said in reply to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to tell me the dream I had and its interpretation? I love the humility in Daniel's response. Daniel answered the king, no wise man, no medium, no magician or diviner is able to make known to the king the mystery he asked about. I, on my own wisdom and in my own power, can't tell you diddly. But, that's my favorite, but there is a God in heaven. There is one. It's not me. But there is a God. If we believed that truth, that there is a God in heaven, how earth-shatteringly different would our lives be. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. doesn't just know them. He reveals them. And he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. Your dreams and visions that came into your mind as you lay in bed were these. Your majesty, while you were in bed, your thoughts came to your mind about what will happen in the future. The revealer of mysteries has let you know. what will, He has let you know. He has let you know what will happen. As for me... This mystery has been revealed to me. It didn't start with me. Not because I have more wisdom than anybody living. This is not about me. But in order that the interpretation might be made known to the king. That you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Do you hear the humility? He says, man, this wisdom is from God. And it's therefore for his glory, not mine. And it's actually for your good, Nebuchadnezzar. He wants you to know this. So this is from God, and it's for, again, for the good of my captor. This is crazy what Daniel is able to say here in the moment. The conductor of Babylon tells us to sing our own song of self-promotion, wanting to impress other people, wanting to be seen in the best light possible. Whereas our good and wise conductor, he has us sing our true song and to see who we really are in light of who God really is. But here's the problem, and again, I'll speak for myself. I'm really good at faking humility. Like, I can be really proud about my humility, if you feel me. It's like Moses. Moses is the author who writes, Moses was the most humble man who ever lived. Wait a second. That feels self-defeating, right? Um, So I can, like, if something, here, I'll help somebody, and then I just really hope, if I'm being honest, that somebody noticed, right? Like the coffee got spilled in the back, and I'm down there picking it up and kind of looking around. Do people see it? the pastor is cleaning up the coffee? What a humble servant, right? Like I'm just kind of being honest with you here. So, or, or maybe like we're doing something good, right? You're at the food bank, and you're helping people, and then you take a selfie and put it on Instagram, right? Just doing my part, duck lips, you know, and catch my new jacket and everything. I just wanted to let you know, it's not about me, but I hope everybody saw that it's not about me, right? We, or people will compliment, you know, hey, great sermon, just once again, perfect sermon, just all the time, it's just crazy. Uh, so, <laughs> and so I will receive that, and of course I say the right thing, like it's all God, right? This is a gift from God, and I honestly believe that, and I've learned how to take that, that encouragement. But then in the, again, the sneaky, sneaky heart where I can receive that and say that it's all God, but then Monday morning, why do I so default back to depending on myself as I do this thing and write the next sermon? I forget who it really is coming from. See, true humility can only come from taking our eyes off of ourselves completely. See, C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of myself, how awful I am. That's still self-obsession. Thinking less of myself is not humility. Thinking of myself less is humility that I would take my eyes off myself completely and put them on the wisdom of God. But you might say, how do I see the wisdom of God? I can't see wisdom. I can't see God. He's spirit. 
Well, we know in our story, wisdom does put skin on and it walks around, doesn't it? And this is what we see in Jesus. When we read the Gospels, man, like we see wisdom incarnate walking around with skin. Jesus shows us what it looks like to live in complete humility, dependent on his Father. He's always stealing away to be with his God and then just humbly thinking about the other people around him, not himself. How can I love the broken and the dirty and the despised and the marginalized? And then he actually humbles himself, Philippians 2 says, to the point of death on the cross. For who? For the rebel me that put him there in the first place. This is Christ. That's what Daniel, when he blesses Nebuchadnezzar, his very captive, that's what Jesus does when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when I see my pathetic little attempts at humility in light of that, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned, unclean. I love the other song we sing. When I survey the wondrous cross, when I take my eyes off myself completely, on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. And what do I do? I pour contempt on all of my pride. And what's funny is now, when I see how great Jesus is, not how great I am, now I'm in a position where God can use me to do some great things. So not only do we see that God's wisdom is greater than the wisdom of this world, we also see his kingdom, his reign will be greater and over all the rest of the kingdoms of this world. Let's look at the kingdom of God here, number two. Daniel is going to tell Nebuchadnezzar now what his dream was and what it meant. So it kind of hears the cliffs notes. Um, Nebuchadnezzar sees this big, huge statue, four parts to it. The head is of gold, the, um, the chest and arms are of silver, the belly and thighs are of bronze, and then the legs are this combo of iron and clay. Then there's this huge stone that comes out of nowhere. He says it's uncut by human hands, and it smashes this whole statue to bits, and then that stone becomes this mountain that fills the entire world. That's a big mountain. And, and then Daniel says, he says, here's, here's what this means. Each part of that statue is a kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar, you and Babylon are the gold. And, and then he says, after you will come these other kingdoms. And he says, they're going to be inferior to yours because we're going to move down, downward, down the statue, and they're inferior in quality as well, s- symbolically. Then he says, God will set up his own kingdom, a kingdom uncut from human hands that will, that will destroy all the other, reign over all the other kingdoms and fill the whole world with his reign, unlike those other kingdoms, his will last forever. Now, now here's where we can get all crazy and kind of caught up in, well, which kingdom is which, and kind of how does this work? And, and there are scholars that say, well, kind of in light of history, there was Media, Media and Persia, then there was Greece, and then there was Rome. Okay, but then who are the ten toes, and which one stands for Donald Trump, and which one's for Putin? Like, how do we kind of plug in, right? And, and, and here, here's, here's the deal. We Before you know it, we are in the weeds, and I think we have missed the whole point. Because notice the passage itself doesn't get into the specifics. Because I don't think that's what God's trying to get at here, right? I love what John Golden Gay says. He says, in the drama of the story, the description has to be allowed to remain elusive. Like, what God hasn't made clear here, let's be careful not to say, oh, it's so clear, right? Uh, people miss the point, he says, when they spend time arguing who the empires were. Like, that's not central to the text. My boy, Ian Duguid, is that's how I pronounce his name. I don't know, he's from Ireland. Uh, my favorite commentator on this Daniel that I've been reading through. He says, the focus of the dream itself and its interpretation are more concerned with what the future holds than when it will come to pass. 
But what did Jesus say? I don't even know when this is all going to come to fruition, right? So let's not be like, no, 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 I studied it for three minutes. I got this, right? In our analysis, we shall focus our attention on the interpretation of the vision that the passage itself gives to us. What's the passage trying to tell us? Let's focus on that rather than pursuing broader and more speculative connections. That's a wordy mic drop if I've ever heard one. Um, as we study the passage, basically he says, we have to ask, and this is what we should always do when we're studying the Bible, what does the passage tell us? What is it trying to, what is that author trying to communicate? So humbly want to look at this and say, here's what I think as we read this, uh, that God wants us to know from this passage, three things. Number one, that all earthly authority is both given and taken away by God. Notice he says this, he gives Nebuchadnezzar his high position as king of kings. Verse 37, your majesty, you are king of kings. The God of the heavens has given you sovereignty, a power, strength, and glory. Do you hear that? You have your position from God. You didn't achieve this. It was given to you. And then I hear Genesis 1 language echoed here in the next verse. Wherever people live, or wild animals, or birds of the sky, he has handed them over to you and made you ruler of them all. You are the head of gold. So remember in, in Genesis 1, when, when God, and 2, he creates Adam and Eve in his image, little representative statues of him on this earth, if you will, and says, rule over the world, subdue it, right? Have dominion over what? The birds, the air, the beasts of the field, right? So they were to rule. But God wants Nebuchadnezzar, likewise, to thrive as an earthly ruler, but under his ultimate authority. That can only happen if it doesn't go his, to his head. If Nebuchadnezzar gets all cocky and starts leaning in on his own wisdom, just like Adam being cast out of his place of authority, God, uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, likewise, will be cast down. Verse 21 he reminds us in his prayer, God changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. Daniel's prayer is to remind us who is ultimately in charge. Because as one poet said, oceans rise, empires fall. It's been a while since I had quoted Hamilton. Um, we know, and this takes us to the second point, that, that all earthly authority is temporary. It's given by God and it's temporary. Notice he says, after you. After you, Nebuchadnezzar, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. This is not the end all be all. Babylon will not reign forever. There is a kingdom coming after you. And then after them will come another after you. And it's interesting here. The vision shows different kingdoms, but they make up one statue, one man. And, and again, Duguid points out, God seems to be showing us not just the fall of Babylon, but the cohesive story of human history. The way that this all is going. Because, see, our world wants to try to tell us that we got this, right? That, that, that progress is being made. That socially, technologically, we're advancing onward and upward. But that is not the biblical story of human history. In Genesis 1, just like with Babylon, God puts Adam and Eve in, in a position of authority under him. But we see by page 3, things take a hard left turn as sin enters into the world, and there is this devolving as his own son kills another one of his sons. And then we go into 6 through 9, where we see this flood and this destruction because of how evil the world has become, and then the chaos of Babel that results in the worldly kingdoms that we have today. 
This is a story of how rebelling against God, not listening to the good conductor, leads us to destruction and chaos and death. And he says the statue just moves downward from one temporary wicked kingdom to the next until the whole thing is ashes, ashes, dust to dust, right? That's, that's a sad story. It's a tragedy. But... But it's easy to see this world and go, man, things are just getting worse and worse, and how am I going to raise my kids in this world? What are we going to look like? But, but, number three, God won't leave us hopelessly under earthly authority. Hear the contrast of the failing earthly kingdoms with the one that God will replace them with one day. Verse 44, in those days, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never Never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another people. There is no after you on this one. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will endure itself forever. You saw a stone break off from the mountain without a hand touching it, and it crushed the iron, the bronze, the fired clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has told the king what will happen in the future. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is reliable. He says, this is from God. You can take it to the bank. So what I love in the story of Genesis is after chapter 11, the story doesn't end there, does it? What do we see next? God calls one man. He calls Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm calling you out of the sinful nations, and I'm going to choose a son for myself, a nation that will represent me, partner with me, and show the rest of the world what it looks like to rule under me. Now we know, reading the story, God's son Israel fails miserably. But the hope here is that history will not end with humanity trying to finally figure out the perfect government. Democracy, we did it. It's not us finally finding the perfect society or the perfect human ruler. It lies in something God will do, not human will do. This rock that crushes, he says, the God of heaven will set up his kingdom. That is the meaning of the rock cut out from the mountain, though not by human hands. And we see that God calls out a son not Israel as a nation, but this one son out of Israel that is, is fully human, but he's also fully God. And he will become the king of kings forever. Acts 4 points, identifies him. This Jesus is the stone, the rejected by you builders. You crucified him to the cross, but this stone has become the cornerstone. Out of his resurrection comes eternal reign, and we can live in his kingdom forever. This is what we look forward to one day. Jesus will establish his good kingdom here on earth forever. That's what we have to look forward to. This is what God wants us to know from this text. But what do we do in light of what we know is coming? If this is where human history is heading, then what do we do in the, in the meantime? Three things, and then we'll be done. Number one, we wait. We wait. God wants us to know. He wants King Nebuchadnezzar to know. that The history is going to end with his reign. So as we hear this truth, we need to hear this in two different times of our lives. We need to hear this when times are bad. Because maybe you come in this morning and you're feeling like Israel in exile. Like you feel like everything is crumbling. That, that, that your dreams here on earth are unraveling. Maybe it's a, a broken marriage. Or maybe it's not yet married and you want to be. Maybe it's a wayward child or, or something going on at home. Maybe it's your job that's failing. Maybe it's a political party that doesn't seem to be delivering you the promises that you thought it would or is not in control like you wanted it to be. And your earthly empire is crumbling. And God gently reminds us here, lift up your head. 
is the king, the good and wise king is coming to make everything right. Hold on, hold on. There is hope. There is hope for those in bad times. But then just as importantly, you guys, we need to hear this when times are good. We, we need to remember, because maybe you're feeling like Nebuchadnezzar today. Maybe you're coming in here and, 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 and you are feeling like that head of gold sitting on top of the world. The job is good. Family is good. Like things are running smooth.com. But we got to remember, Pastor Larry used to always say, we're all a phone call away for life changing f- forever. We got that, a call like that on Tuesday morning about Chuck. Jojo got that call, and she's serving God faithfully in Russia, and then all of a sudden, everything changes. For us to remember, there's an after you. And if we don't build on the foundation of the rock, we are building sandcastles in the face of an impending tide that's coming in. So we wait for his kingdom. We build, and that brings us to our second point, that we've got to work. We're called to work. Like waiting for the kingdom doesn't take us away from partnering with God and what he has for us in the here and now. Look at verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many generous gifts. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and chief governor over all the wise men of Babylon. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's not what you know, it's who you know. They managed the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. I love this. Daniel is given by God and his buddies, once again, a, a position. And a unique position to, to, have, to be salt and light over the people of Babylon. He has them in exile. But if you remember Jeremiah, he said before they ever got there, he said, when God inevitably brings you into exile in Babylon, here's what life for you should look like in this city. It says in Jeremiah 29, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves. Have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage. Never, Lucy, never, so that they may bear sons and daughters He says, multiply there, do not decrease. Do you hear the words, be fruitful and multiply, right? Had that at the beginning of the story. And once again, what did Jesus tell his followers? Go into the world, make disciples, multiply, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, and I love this, for when it thrives, when the city thrives, you will thrive. So he says, God didn't hide Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego under a Babylonian bushel. No, right? Until the the captivity was over. He had a place for them to thrive. And just like that, for us today, notice the moment that you were saved, you didn't just get beamed up to heaven. That was on purpose. Like, we're here for a reason. God has us here to be a blessing to the people he has left us among. We're here to make disciples. We're here to announce the good news. We're here to show the world what love looks like with skin on. And, and do good, he asked a convicting question. He said, man, if, if I were gone, like if I, if I wasn't here right now, would the people around me, would, what kind of impact would that have on, if, if our church was just sucked up, would, would the community even notice that we were gone? Are we being salt and light to the people around us? So I want to ask you that clearly but kindly, like are you living out your purpose here in Babylon to love your neighbor, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. We're here on purpose to work under the king. And then thirdly, uh, we're here to worship. Isn't it, it's amazing. God not only has all this wisdom, he reveals it. And, and, and 
he, he says in verse 22, Daniel says he reveals the deep and hidden things. But why, why does he reveal this stuff to, to Nebuchadnezzar? Why does he do it? Well, look at Nebuchadnezzar's response, and it, I think it gives us the reason there. Nebuchadnezzar fell face down, worshipped Daniel, close, uh, and gave orders to present an offering and incense to him. Daniel's like, no, worship up there, not to me, thank you. The king said to Daniel, your God indeed is God of gods, Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, since you were able to reveal this mystery. You see, the result of revelation to Daniel, or to Nebuchadnezzar, was worship of the one true God. And we see, this is the goal of God revealing to us things about himself, about the reality we live in. It's not just for information. God's not just trying to let, again, it's not just that we know when all the things are going to go down, exactly how it's, it's not about all that. that. That's us kind of grasping for control. I know what's coming. The reason God reveals these things to us is not for just for information, it's for worship. It's for worship. So I remember years ago now, when the movie Inception came out, you remember that? It blew my mind. Like, I was like, this is the coolest movie I've ever seen. Like, I don't even know what's going on. There's a dream, but then there's a dream in a dream, and then a dream in a dream in a dream. It's like one of those Russian dolls of dreams. And then at the end, there's this top that's spinning, and my mind is spinning. This is an amazing movie. And what did I have to do? I had to tell everybody I knew about this amazing movie. You guys have got to see Inception. It's the coolest, right? So I keep inviting all my friends. I went back to Inception like two or three times. I probably single-handedly kept the orca in business for like a couple of weeks, right? Now, what's going on there? My delight in this movie, my marveling in this movie, expressed itself in me sharing my delight with other people. And that's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, delight is incomplete until it is expressed. Delight is incomplete until it is expressed. So for us, man, when God shows us himself, when he shows us the truth about him and about us in light of him, it delights our hearts because this is the truth. This is the reality of who God is. And then he says but that, that delight is incomplete until it's expressed itself. That's why we're made to praise him. That's why we're, we're made to then share that joy of, of the delight we've discovered in God with the people around us. Our mission is an overflow of our worship to our God. And this is, this is so cool, and we'll stop here. When Babylon's men were asked to tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream and what it meant, notice their response. So they said, what the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods, whose dwelling is not with mortals. Or in the new living, they do not live here among the people. They go, we can't tell you the dream, only our gods can do that. But the Babylonian gods, what do they say? They don't dwell here with us. They're not among the people. We don't have access to the wisdom of those gods. You'll have to go to them. And what I love about our God is that he has shown himself, hasn't he? He has come to live with us. And as opposed to those distant Babylonian gods that are not gods at all, what does John 1 say? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God came to dwell with man. Jesus was revealed. And as we see Jesus for who he really is, the compassionate Savior who loves you right where you are today and wants to rescue you out of sin into a flourishing life, and the king who has conquered sin and death forever and is coming back to set up that kingdom here on earth, as we see him, 
We will delight, and as we delight, we will praise our God for Jesus and who he is and share Jesus with the people around us. Our good conductor has shown us a better song to sing, and it should cause us to dance and shout as we go out from this room for the rest of the week, out of this pep rally. We go back into the game, and we tell the world there is a good and wise king. Let's listen to his song and follow him alone. Amen. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you did not leave us alone, that you are not a God who was unwilling to dwell among his people, but you stepped into our suffering, into our pain. God, unlike, unlike Daniel, you don't always give us a reason for the things that we're facing, for those brothers and sisters and friends in this room that are facing hard things. But God, you entered into that with us, and you made a way you didn't, you didn't snatch us out of the hardships of the kingdom of this world. You actually conquered over them and are coming back one day. And I pray in the meantime, we would be faithful to wait for you and to not build castles here in this world, that we would work, that we would be on mission for you, God, that we would be faithful to make disciples of all nations, and that we would worship you. Lord, that you would redirect our hearts. I don't know how the people listening in this world, this room today specifically need their hearts reoriented, but I pray that your word here as revealed in Daniel chapter 2, would do its faithful work, not return void, but recenter us, recalibrate us to true north, that as we see Jesus and delight in him, that it would spill in over to our lives of praise and mission, letting other people know about how amazing Jesus is. It is so, so sweet to trust in Jesus. But God, we need your grace to trust him more. And so we come to you dependently in prayer like Daniel, praying that you would do what only you can do, the only wise king. And all God's people said. Let's stand together and sing how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. Mm -hmm.